Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. And as usual, this is a Tuesday episode. So with us is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going? Good morning, Bradley. Um, we are we are not in PT Knitwear this morning. I think we have to be uh, let our listeners know right away. Um, and, and why are we not there? I'm sure they're urgently uh, yeah. checking our location at all times. Yes. Um, we are not there because I have COVID. Uh, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I just kind of knew it, took a test, and that like second line popped up like yeah, so. 20 seconds. It was like, you definitely have COVID. So uh, I am at home recording, and you are wherever you are, but not at PT. Um, so with that said, uh, no one at PT has COVID, so please go buy books. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons we're not there so that no one will have it there. Um, it is kind of incredible, though, this wave of COVID. I had it the week before last, and it just seems to be, um, you know, nobody I know is getting really sick, but 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 it's definitely a bunch of positive tests. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, don't, I really don't feel – I have like a little headache, a little scratchy, but at the moment, knock on whatever on this surfaces that I'm knocking on on this table um, – I, I feel okay. So, um, so right. glad that you finished up your class last week, which is good. Your your class at Columbia that we've talked about at various points throughout the podcast, and so in in a weird way, the timing is perfect for you to get COVID because you're not going to miss any of the class, and yeah. it was obviously important that you did those in person. Um, but we're going to talk about. Um, well, why don't you tell explain a little bit, and then we'll get back. So, to it. One is so I every year in the last class, every year meeting the three years now that I've taught. Um, I kind of ditched the lesson plan for the last week, and I instead put together slides basically just called unsolicited life and career advice, stuff I wish someone had told me when I was your age. Um, And it's basically things that I have learned the hard way over a long period of time and things also that I think, one, they, they don't get in business school. In fact, often they get the opposite message, like which is it's all about checking boxes and achieving status symbols and buying shit in the Hamptons. Um, and, and two, even more important, um, I, I, the thing I wanted to convey even more than any specific piece of advice is life is hard, right? And it's not linear. And we'll get into all of this, but I'm the person standing in front of them, right? Which means implicitly Columbia is telling them he's who you want to be. And I'm not even some academic, right? I'm someone who's done it in the real world, had a lot of success, gets to teach them all this stuff. And I want them to see that, you know, I don't have a figure out at all, man. You know, I'm I'm also vulnerable and confused and fuck shit up all the time. And like, so when their life isn't perfect or when they achieve some career goal and they don't understand why they're not permanently ecstatic, um, they understand why. And then as a nice compliment to this, we did a podcast we recorded last week with three of our students that's going to air on Thursday talking about kind of business school, their lives, uh, the class, how they see politics now, everything else. And, and it was great because they really were all very independent minded, said stuff that I think maybe the school wouldn't have loved to have heard. Um, but as a result, that makes it for an interesting podcast. So hopefully everyone will listen in on Thursday, too. You know, so uh, I, I was I was expecting you to just sort of tease this, um, but you kind of started to go into it. So rather than um, go and talk about some of the other stuff we want to talk about today. Why don't we just go right into the slides? Because you sure. picked three of them that um, that you wanted to focus on, and and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, I'm going to read the the copy of the slides, which are in Bradley's voice, and then Bradley, you why don't you just tell me sort of what you uh, what you're yeah, telling you know, me? Also, do Hugo? Maybe we can put the slides up on the firewall site if people want to see them. Yeah, for sure, we'll do that. That's a good idea. Um, okay, so so there's how many slides are there totally in your whole thing? total? But we're just going to do three. 
do you want to put all of them up? Um, yeah. All 25? Okay. We'll put all 25 up on, on, on the website, but we're going to talk about three. So this is the second one. The first one's an intro, which actually just says unsolicited life and career advice stuff I wish someone had told me when I was your age. So um, the very first one is being a person in the world is hard. Everyone is making it up as they go along. Yeah. I mean, to me, that was especially useful um, to convey because I, I think that when you're younger – you assume that the people who are older, the authority figures, know what they're talking about. And look, when I was teaching them about the tech regulation, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Um, but when it comes to like overall life, like I'm figuring this shit out in real time, just like everybody else. And I think the more they realize that what they're being told by their friends, by their parents, by their teachers on Twitter, whatever it is, it's just someone else's opinion that is totally infused with that person's vulnerabilities and traumas and fears and insecurities and everything else, which means, yeah, they might be trying to give you good, honest advice, but it's still basically what's good for them and what makes sense to them. And so don't take anyone else's opinion all too seriously because no one really knows anything. Um, and generally speaking, look, it, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, I, I almost feel sometimes like God created humans to be this sort of Shakespearean play, right? Where, you know, we are just kind of moral and conscientious enough to know that we should do the right thing, but yet not quite enough to sort of consistently and automatically do the right thing. Um, and so there's this constant sort of balance back and forth. And it probably makes life interesting if you're looking down watching us um, and maybe even while you're living it sometimes. But it, it's it's very variable. Like, you know, we have complex emotions and a lot of times those emotions aren't positive, right? They are upset or angry or scared or whatever it is. And it really doesn't matter who you are, right? Uh, and, and the point I want to make them is I have a lot of money, a lot of influence, uh, a lot of recognition, and I can kind of do whatever I want. And at the same time, I still have all of those negative emotions all of the time that I struggle with. And that's completely normal. All right. Number slide number three. I'm going to read it again. This isn't Bradley's voice, although it is my voice saying them. Um, life is not linear. There's no one moment when you've made it and then everything is great. It keeps bouncing up and down. And often one part of your life is working really well and another really isn't. Life, for better or worse, is a constant process of adjustment, of trying to understand yourself, of facing down doubt, uncertainty, and fear. That, unfortunately, never really changes. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think also important because, I, I look, maybe it's just me. And I tend to have sort of a binary thought process, which is not great, but I, it always feels like you're like, oh, if I can only kind of achieve this one more thing, if I can get this promotion, this title, win this, whatever it is, whether it's uh, personally or professionally, you think at that moment, I'll have checked all the boxes and I'm good for the rest of time. And that's just not true, right? Um, in fact, oftentimes I have found that at the moment of achievement, instead of feeling uh, elated and ecstatic, I feel despondent. And I think the reason why is because I know that that alone is not going to solve all of my problems or just make me automatically feel better about everything all of the time. And so, you know, the notion of you're just gunning for some moment and also just sacrificing years and years of your life by working at like some investment bank or McKinsey or whatever it is, if you like it, great. But if you don't like it, you think you're doing it in furtherance of some great, you know, final opportunity. And that's not really true, right? Yeah, you, you can make more money, but generally the award for winning the pie eating contest is more pie. 
Um, and so if, if you don't like being an investment banker or a consultant or a lawyer or a law firm, or whatever you're doing, um, one, doing it just because you think that there's going to be some giant payoff at the end of the day is not really true. And two, if you don't like it now, you're not going to like it later either. It's not for you. Now, I understand that people have student debt, although I will say I took out that pay for all of my law school. I got a little scholarship and everything else I paid for. Um, and I didn't work in private practice and I was still ultimately able to pay it off. It took me 15 years instead of two, um, but it, it didn't stop me from doing what I wanted to do. But ultimately, there's just this fallacy in the world that, you know, if, if you could only have this, if you could only do that, and by the way, it's completely driven by capitalism and our system ad, of advertising, which is all of advertising is meant to make you feel inadequate and that your life will only be good and complete once you buy this new toaster trip to Disney World, you know, sofa, whatever it is. And, and of course, that doesn't ever really make you feel better long term. Um, but because there's just this view out there, and to me, it's so wrong and yet so pervasive, it was important to try to debunk it a little bit. I like the fact that you mentioned a toaster. Um, Do you think yeah. people still buy toaster? Yeah, I mean, people, we have a toaster and people still need toasters. Do you have a toaster in your new apartment, though? Uh, yeah, yeah. Really? Bagels, stuff like that. Like not everything is good in the oven or the microwave. I, th I think the toaster will survive for a very long time. Well, it already has. I mean, it's, it, if you think about something that like this sort of anachronistic thing that everyone has and still gets them, I agree. Yeah, you need it. And do you think banks still give out toasters as like an incentive to open up a savings account? Oh, my God. You know, I don't think they do, but they should because everybody would be like, fuck, I'm going to that bank. I want a toaster. I, want, I remember now, this, now we're just totally rambling, but Hurricane, um, it wasn't Sandy. It was the one before that. And- Maybe it was Sandy. And um, Abby and I went to the hardware store to get flashlights. And, of course, we were, like, way too late, right? They'd been sold out for days. <laughs> up, so the best part was we ended up buying a toaster. <laughs> um, all right. That's a good toaster story. Um, slide number five. Um, there's no objective measure of success or failure. But if the standard you use has been created by someone else, meaning status, money, things, there's a pretty good chance you'll be miserable. So – Figure out what success means to you. It will change over time and pursue that path. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think on one hand, I, I pretty much already covered that and going through the, the previous two slides. Um, but yet again, there, it, what it takes, I, what I really want the kids, and they're not really kids, they're all in their, their 20s or 30s. Um, but what I really wanted them to take away from this is like, you got to figure out for yourself what's meaningful to you, what's fulfilling to you, what makes you happy, what balance you need between work and your personal life, how much money you need compared to how much you, misery you're willing to sort of endure um, to make it and everything else. And if you're letting other people set those parameters for you, you're never going to feel happy. You're never going to feel in control. You're never going to feel any agency. Um, and it, it's not going to work, right? And so it, it's hard to do when you're younger, but I, I really think it, you've got to say, this is what success means to me. And this is what I'm going to pursue. And it doesn't really matter if anybody else likes it or not or thinks it makes sense or not. I, I've done all kinds of stuff over the course of my career that didn't make sense to people. Um, and sometimes it succeeded and sometimes it failed. But you know what? It made sense to me. And as long as it did, uh, that's fine. So uh, as Bradley said, we're going to put these up um, on uh, – well, I guess we'll put them up on Medium. Um, and uh, I think it would be really cool – First of all, we'd love to hear from from any listeners who respond to any one of the slides. But I think it'd be great if anybody wanted to write their own slide, you know, 
of, of either either advancing or or sort of adding some detail to something Bradley said or just something he didn't cover at all that you think fits the um, uh, the right you know the the right kind of message to give to young people starting out like what what are some of the the you know what are the things you wish you'd heard when you were their age so I think it'd be a cool if if listeners want to um, uh, do either one of those things or some other inspired in some other way by the by the list to send us send us something and 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 if we if we get some good ones we'll 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 read them on a on a future podcast great all right um, all right Bradley we're moving on to. Um, uh, uh, I mean, everybody's, well, I don't know if it's everybody's favorite subject, but it's a fun thing to talk about. Um, uh, AOC um, has recently, uh, the news last week was that she is um, going to be investigated for, for um, by the Ethics Committee on, on we, I guess we don't know what, what exactly the matter is. There's been some speculation, but we don't know. Um, and this is, I mean, this is probably just a political witch hunt, would you say? Or which, I guess. Well, yes or no, right? Like, if it's that she took a ticket to the Met Gala or wore a dress that that people didn't like, like so fucking what, right? Right. However, this is someone who um, I think has had a lot of sort of commercial esque activities. There was a Netflix show, and you know, uh, she's on the cover of magazines and all of that, and so. The flow of money is unclear. Maybe there's no flow of money, but maybe there is. And if there is, um, whether or not that flow was done appropriately legally, we don't know. Um, and, and the broader point that I wanted to make here is not whether or not AOC broke the law. She, she might have. But it's more that people who are as moral, self-righteous as her and who sort of live on this notion of moral superiority, they always come crashing down to earth because they're always sort of hung by their own noose or whatever that that cliche is. Hard. It's petard. Hard. <laughs> right. That's a good word. It's a good word. Um, because at the end of the day, as we were saying before, human beings are complicated and you might have a view of what's better for the world and what's worse. Um, but you're still an individual and you still like stuff and you want nice stuff. So while AOC might say that she was going to the Met Gala to make a political statement. She was going there because she wants to hobnob with the most famous people in the world, and she wants to be considered one of them. Um, and she wants to sort of enjoy all the things that she's constantly castigating, right? And there are so many examples in every single industry, especially politics. And the point I want to make here is not, you know, whether or not AOC is guilty of graft or corruption. I don't know if she is or not. Um, I, I kind of hope that she is simply because I don't like anyone who's self-righteous and morally superior from any side of the aisle. But either way, it's like it's so fucking obvious that if you behave like this, and you spend all of your time wagging your finger and telling everyone that they're not good enough and you're the only one who has moral purity. You're always crashing out to earth. Like take Brad Lander; he's the New York City controller. Well, uh, we back up for one second because I just want—I just want to set a little context here because you texted me yesterday. We'd we'd been talking about some historical examples of this, and then and then you texted me yesterday and said, "Oh, you got to grab a copy of the Post because there's like six examples in there of, of of what I'm talking about." Yeah, yeah. So yeah. one of them is Brad Lander, but there's oh, others. Okay, let's, yeah, let, let's go to yesterday's Post. So there were there was three that uh, came, came to mind for me in the post yesterday. Um, the first one is Brad Lander. Most people don't know who he is, but he's the New York City controller, not a particularly major job, but, but it's a you know, political job that, that politicians want to have. And um, he is like the epitome of this sort of self-righteous, morally superior, you know, I am better than everyone else, um, left-wing politician. And yet he consistently 
ends up getting in trouble for behaving in ways uh, that he specifically condemns. Like, for example, he made a big deal when he was in the city council about traffic safety and, and parking legally to, to allow for the community to have space and everything else. It's and it turns right. out yeah. he's one of the biggest offenders in the city of speed camera tickets and illegal parking, right? Like the guy's so full of shit. Or there was a piece in the Post yesterday. He is supporting a, a bill in the New York City Council that said you can't fire anyone without just cause, which effectively eliminate at-will employment, which is insane. And yet he just let several members of his staff go with no cause whatsoever like a month ago, right? And it's like literally what fucking world is this guy living in that he thinks that, you know, no one's noticing that he can just sort of say one thing, do another. And like, you know, it just to me is I guess if he were capable of being smarter, he would be. Um, but like, well, let me let me ask you a question. So you've obviously been in the room with a lot of politicians in yeah. your in your time. When something like this happens, right? When a when a when when Brad Lander does something like this, or a person like him, and and the staff says, "Did someone say to him, hey, Brad, maybe we soft pedal this a little bit, given given all your speeding tickets? Like, maybe uh, we don't. Maybe maybe not. Like when I worked for Henry Stern, who obviously." has his own issues. But when, when, when I, he had a good saying, which is I want someone who'll say no, even if it'll cost them their job. Right. And I'll tell you, I, I followed that advice and I fought sometimes with Henry and when I worked for Chuck constantly and Blagojevich even more, and by the way, that's what kept me out of jail and out of trouble was by willing to say, <laughs> no, this is a bad idea. Right. But you know, look, when I worked for, for Blagojevich, our chief of staff and I'm John Harris went to jail briefly, but just like, like literally just for a couple of days, but he was indicted. Um, not because he was like explicitly scheming to to break the law and steal money for himself or anything else. He just was so desperate to get Rod's approval and to, to play inside politics that he said yes to everything, never stood up to him. And as a result, he ended up being complicit in all of Rod's corruption. And so, you know, not only do you need to do it simply because it's the right, you know, it's right. It, it protects you. Right. So, you know, I, I think that's really important. Or like, let's go to, to the Republican side of the aisle now. Um, the guy in Florida who sponsored the Don't Say Gay bill, Joe Harding, had to resign for corruption and pandemic era loan fraud. So this is a guy who's talking about God and the Bible and what's right and what's wrong and, and casting a tremendous amount of judgment on what, 10 percent of the population plus everyone else who, who has a, you know, friend or family member who's gay. And at the same time, this guy was completely corrupt. He was stealing money from the taxpayers. And yet again, like how he knew what he was doing, how he could do that and then sponsor this bill is totally so crazy. I understand how it happens because he's just solely driven by attention and greed at all times, like almost every single politician. Um, but yet again, just like typical kind of thing or let's take our friends at The New York Times. Um, they are the most morally superior media outlet that I've ever come across, at least on the left. They endlessly lecture everyone for not sort of being sufficiently woke. And guess what? When their own union wanted pay raises and better treatment, guess what they said? No. All of a sudden, now they're a business, right? And their union members went on strike, and it got settled pretty quickly. But nonetheless, presumably, if you actually believe the things that you were saying, you would have said, well, the rights of workers are the most important thing. We say that every single day in our newspaper and we will practice what we preach. And yet not at all. Right. And so those were three literally from the New York Post 
yesterday alone. We could talk about Gavin Newsom and how he dined at the French Laundry during COVID without wearing a mask, and that almost sunk his entire career. There was a recall movement based on that specifically. Herschel Walker, he paid for abortions for multiple women and then ran as a right-wing pro-life candidate in the, in the Senate race. Um, you know, and it, it caught everything else too. Sam Bankman-Free calling for regulation in crypto when he was stealing like crazy or Elizabeth Holmes, um, you know, talking about how she's changing the world when it was all total fraud. Lance Armstrong, you know, again, super morally superior guy, um, wins all of these tour de France. Is that the way you pronounce it? Um, and it turns out he was cheating the entire time. And so, look, the, the point here isn't even not that people will do things stupid or wrong. Everybody does things that are stupid or wrong at some point. Sometimes they're criminal and really hurt people. Sometimes they're minor. But either way, that's part of human nature. You're going to get things wrong and you're going to occasionally fall victim to your own greed and your own desires and your own envy. And since you know that about yourself because you're a human being, casting yourself as morally superior to everyone else is incredibly stupid. I want to go back just for one second and not to Brad Lander's specific case, but I, I want to I imagine 27-year-old Bradley Tusk working in his office and how just how it would work in 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 the actual conversation like the the one where 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 he wants to make some big press conference and statement about cracking down on speeding or cracking down on people yeah, who well, okay let's it. let's let's play um you, you want to be lander or the staffer well i i want to yeah and this is a good one for the, like, especially connecting to our our previous uh conversation about about the the columbia students so these these columbia students are in their in their mid late 20s are going to be entering jobs, likely working for really powerful people, who are who are going to do things somewhat along the lines of the, the stuff we're talking about now, of of saying one thing and doing something else. Um, and the young person's calculus in that moment, where they have to weigh like, do I stand up to them and win points as a sort of decent human being, but potentially lose my job over? You know, ultimately, like if Lander wants to say this and be completely exposed as a hypocrite, um, like, OK, fine. Right? I would argue as a good staffer, so his comms director, whoever that is, should have had the wisdom and balls to say. And, may, and maybe this person didn't. He, and Lander just ignored that. We won't know. But hey, Brad. This is why those people got fired. <laughs> right. Hey, Brad, you know, we just let several people go without any cause whatsoever. It's a public thing that we did that. The press knows about it. If you now come out tomorrow and endorse this bill and make a big deal about it, you're going to look like a total hypocrite. You don't, and it's not even saying that you have to oppose the bill. Just keep your mouth shut, right? Or don't make a big deal about it. But instead of trying to get more attention for yourself because you're so desperate for validation and affirmation at every turn, sit this one out. I don't know if someone said that to him or not, but you know what's interesting Lander, I don't, know, I don't know. My guess is Lander's the kind of guy that just fires people if they disagree with him. But a really smart uh, boss, whether it's in business or politics or any other sector, even if they get angry at someone for telling them, standing up to them, telling them the truth in the heat of the moment, they ultimately know, hey, this is really valuable because not that many people have the balls to say this to me. And I may listen to them. I may not. Um, but either way. Um, I appreciate that someone is willing to do that and I actually value them, right? right. And so it, sometimes I, th I think you do see that. I think when I fought with Chuck all the time, to his credit, um, he didn't like me, you know, pushing back, but but he appreciated that that I was looking out for him, even though it didn't feel like that at the time. 
And so, you know, but yeah, look, all I can say is there were a bunch of times, most notably when Rod Blagojevich asked me to tell our Rahm Emanuel that that he couldn't get a athletic uh, grant, two million dollar grant for athletic facility in his district until his brother R. Emanuel held a fundraiser, and I said no, and I didn't do it. And quite frankly, had I done otherwise, I would have gone to prison. Rod was indicted for that, and so both in terms of your own ability to do your job well, your own self-respect, and quite frankly, your own freedom and safety, especially in politics, you are far better off, just like you're better off as the politician not being so self-righteous because you're ultimately always going to be proven to be a hypocrite. If you're a staffer, um, you're better off just being honest about it. And and if you get yelled at, so be it. Do you think there's a difference in politics versus business uh, uh, and, and stuff like this. I mean, obviously, politics has to take place on a stage. That's the whole point of it. Um, but business, there's a lot of things that are, you know, don't create as much press that are that are decisions. I, I, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think that the politics side is obviously much more public. So, like when we give our list of examples, for every one business loan, we have ten political ones because you know politicians are just kind of the worst. Um, but um, at the same time, yeah, I, th- I think in every situation, look, um, take tough strategies, for example. You know, there are times where a client, uh, a potential client reaches out to us and we have to decide whether or not we want to take it. And look, to be honest, in the heat of the moment, we always want the revenue, right? We always need the money. You know, we want to expand. We want to hire more people. We want to pay people better, whatever it is. We want to increase our revenue by X percent every single year. And so the temptation is to do it. Um, and sometimes we do, but there have at least been enough times where, you know, we've realized, hey, I will either feel really bad if I do this or I will look really bad. So, for example, we turned down Jared Kushner. We turned down the Sacklers. We turned down Chick-fil-A. We turned down the NRA. We turned down Philip Morris, um, you know, all the and a whole bunch of others. And quite frankly, long term, not only was it better for our own sort of morality and conscience, it was better for the business because ultimately, if, if, if that got out, it's really hard to defend. You know, it's one thing when the left hits you on the fact that you do business at all, right? And how dare you work for Walmart or Uber or whatever, go fuck yourself. Um, but when you are working for someone in the business world or political world who you know is doing something completely corrupt or immoral and you choose to take their money anyway, um, forget about what it says about you as a person. It's just going to come back to haunt you from a business perspective. Um, I, I listened to an interview the other day with uh, Rutger, uh, Rutger Bergman. Our guy. Bregman, Bregman. Um, yeah, who we've talked about, who's the author of a book called Humankind and, and a bunch of other books too. And um, he was talking about something we've also discussed on this podcast, the sort of future of effective altruism. Mm-hmm. And his point was that it would it – would, it would not go away. Um, it, it, the, the movement was was too. Um, I don't know if strong was right, but it, but it, it, it had caught on in a way that that he thinks will 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 give it some um, some resiliency, even with the Sam Bankman Freed flame out and all the sort of bad press associated with that. But he used this term that I, I wanted to run past you uh, because it, it it it's it just struck in my mind stuck, stuck in my mind he said he said something along the lines of it, it will likely survive in some form because there are lots of and the quote is morally ambitious people around the world who have sort of latched onto this movement and so it was that morally ambitious term that um, got my attention and I, I was on the one hand it sounds like a sort of contradiction in terms like if if, if you I, I think it actually makes total sense. Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask you about, if it made sense to you or not. So, so morally ambitious to me means what he's saying is people both 
want to do the right thing and they want to benefit themselves, right? Like think about what I've been saying for the last 20 minutes on this podcast. I, I've been castigating all these self-righteous people, but in the process, I keep talking about how righteous I am. Right. And if I were listening, I'd be like, fuck you, Tusk, you're a fraud, too. Um, and the point being, yes, most of us do want to do the right thing, the ethical thing, the moral thing. But we also want credit for it. I was happy to just talk about how we turned down the Sacklers and Kushner and the NRA and whatever else, because I want the listeners to think well of me. Right. Um, and so morally ambitious to me means you're human and you're probably a decent human in that you're trying to do the right thing. But at the same time. You do want credit. You do want validation. You do want recognition for it. And look, I know you could also define morally ambitious as just the pure principle of effective altruism itself, which is your ambition is to solve the greatest number of problems as possible with the least amount of money necessary. And therefore, that's why you're dedicating it to mosquito nets or anti-malaria pills or whatever it is. But, I, you know, I, I don't know that that's what he meant. I, I think it's more likely that, you know, the world that that guy runs in um, people are, a lot of people kind of do want to do good on some level and at the same time also really, really want to feel important and think people to think that they're important and good. And the two are not mutually exclusive. Right. Um, in the, uh, department of, uh, validation need for validation, um, uh, Kristen Sinema, uh, Arizona, U S Senator from Arizona, um, uh, left the democratic party, uh, last week and is, uh, here for a, uh, independent, um, on the one hand, I would think you would, uh, as an independent yourself, you probably like people who um, declare their political independence. Um, but on the other hand, you you don't love Kristen Cinema. Um, tell me a little bit about how you reacted to that news. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, when I met with her about universal school meals, and when she told me that she would, because she relied on them as a kid and worked in the Phoenix school system, that that she would make sure that they were included in, in the next spending bill. And then there were three spending bills after that, of which she didn't bother to push forward even once. Um, we did talk about her becoming independent because I am an independent and I support independent politics and, and the movement. And I said to her, if you become an independent, um, I would love to be helpful to you and support you because I really respect that. But I respect that for people who actually do good things for the world. Right. And she had multiple opportunities on Build Back Better and uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, like that became Build Back Better, and they, a whole bunch of this continuing resolution, whatever the different names are for these things, to say, you can't have my 50th vote without some money for universal school meals. We're talking about $10 billion in the context of sometimes things that were over a trillion dollars, right? Um, would not have been that hard. And quite frankly, one of them, her big sort of trade-off was to was to make sure that the carried interest loophole wasn't eliminated. Now, look, I benefit from the carried interest loophole, just like everyone who has a fund does. But the reality is, if you said to me, would you rather pay some more taxes and more kids get fed? Or would you rather pay some less taxes and kids go hungry? I'll, I'll take the former, you know. And I, by the way, I don't know how she wouldn't look better either doing the former or just insisting on both, right? It just instead looked like she was just being you know, paid off by the hedge fund industry. And, and you know, if she retires, we'll just get a job there. Um, and so, you know, a reporter political reached out to me and said, well, how do you feel about this? And the reporter assumed that I would say, well, I'm upset that she left the Democratic Party and I won't support her anymore. So the reporter, like, I'm not a Democrat and I can give two shits about the Democrats. But cinema, you know, and the reason the reporter asked that is because I've, I've been a significant supporter of her financially. Um, Cinema had the opportunity to do the right thing multiple times. I talked to her about it every single time. To her credit, she would at least text me back. 
but she never did it. And so from my perspective, at least when it comes to hungry kids and at least when it comes to universal school meals this year, the Democrats in the Senate were just as useless as the Republicans in the Senate. And so it doesn't matter to me, for at least from the perspective of that issue, which one of them has power or whether one of them becomes independent or anything else. And so, no, I'm not going to be supporting her. But more importantly, I'm really not supporting pretty much anyone in the federal government anymore. There's a couple of members of Congress I have personal relationships with that I'll continue to help because I like them. But putting that aside, what I have found is getting anything done in Washington is, is a waste of time and virtually impossible. And for far less time and effort and far less money, you can pass bills in states that impact a lot of people, right? And so look, we've so far passed 19 bills on hunger and it's unlocked about a billion and a half in new government sp spending on hunger programs. It's still a lot less than the 10 billion I was trying to get from the federal government universal school meals. But it did actually happen right now. It was, you know, took 19 different bills. It's a lot of work, a lot of effort. But there's a there's an outcome. Even even by the way, even if you don't win, you lose, you get an outcome. And in Congress, it just sits there forever and nothing ever happens. Right. And so to me, you know, spending time lobbying the federal government, dealing with the federal government to try to create something good, unless it is literally the only jurisdiction that you have that you could possibly do it in is a bad idea. All right, Brad, I think we're going to leave it there. You did a pretty good job for a man with COVID. I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you, well, I'm not going to give you a two grade. Stars. But uh, two stars. <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh, please, if, if you do like this podcast, I, I keep forgetting to do this, please rate and review us on whatever. And remember, think of Bradley as COVID he's, and his commitment, his level of, 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 of respect. Right. If, if I can record with COVID, you can at least press a button. And, and please remember to listen on, on Thursday. I think the conversation with the Columbia students came out really well. We did it last week. So that's a pre-COVID Bradley. Um, you can compare. Is he better with COVID, worse with COVID? You know, we'll see. Maybe maybe you should always have COVID. Maybe I should always have COVID. Um, thank on. you, Bradley. I'll, I'll, I'll see you soon. Thank you.